I want to also say uh, welcome to Faith Lutheran Church, and again, those of you who are tuning in online, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. We're going to be in First Chronicles 17 this morning. As Jeff said at the top of the service this morning, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Long Story Short. And for the first 12 weeks of 2021, uh, we are dividing up uh, the Bible, the biblical narrative, the biblical story into 12 sections, 12 chapters. Of course, the Bible actually has 66 books, and uh, some of them are a little bit dense and thick to get through. And so we've got 12 major themes that we're going through uh, over these 12 weeks. And we really have uh, discovered uh, that the Bible is not just a story about God, uh, but it's God revealing himself to us, God revealing his character to us. And so we started out learning uh, that God is a God of creation. And that God is a God of promise. That God is a God of rescue. That God... Oh, I need to get them all up there. No. That's okay. Just a few technical details. Um, um, that he is a God of covenant. And then last week we looked at he is a God of conquest. Um, and last week, uh, where we kind of left off is that the Israelites had just arrived into the promised land. And when they got in the promised land, they conquered all the nations uh, in that land. And uh, then uh, Joshua divided up the land according to the 12 tribes. And so the people are in the promised land. They finally arrived. And if you've ever moved into a new community or moved into a new house, there's something just kind of exciting about getting into a new place. Our family moved uh, to Bloomington Normal about eight and a half years ago. And I still remember it, uh, how exciting it was to uh, unload, unpack, um, kind of try and figure out where's the grocery store. Where are the kids going to go to school? Um, where are the restaurants in town? Fortunately, there's restaurants everywhere in Bloomington, right? And so it's just kind of that, that state season and that stage of, of discovery. And, ah, oh, everything is new. We just got to figure it out. And, and some of you were probably like, where am I going to go to church, right? And this is just kind of what it's like to move into a new community. And this is what's going on for the Israelites. They're in a brand new land. And they're trying to figure out how do they interact, how do they meet the neighbors of all around them. And the Israelites are trying to figure out what is life going to be like in this new land called the Promised Land. And God has established a theocracy with the Israelites. He's going to be the king, he's going to be the one in charge, and everybody's supposed to just do what God tells them to do. And of course, when we talked about this last week, he gave them the law, he gave them the Ten Commandments, he gave them the covenant to really understand this relationship, that God is in charge, God would be the king, and God's people, all they had to do was just be obedient to God. And along the way, if they had any questions in this next season, all they needed to do is go to the judges, those people that God had put in charge during the next 200 years as they're trying to figure out what it means to move into this next season of kingdom. And so today we're going to talk about God as the God of kingdom, his kingdom. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who continues to reveal yourself to us through your holy word. God, we thank you for all the ways in which um, you speak to us and tell us about who you are and whose we are as your children through you. And Lord, as we move into this next season, this next chapter in the life of the Israelites, your people, we pray, God, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to understand uh, the ways, God, in which you are on the throne, leading and guiding, ruling and reigning. So, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, there are these three guys uh, standing around trying to decide uh, who had the oldest profession. Whose profession had been around the longest? And so there was a doctor, an engineer, and a politician. And the doctor said, well, you know, when you go to the very beginning of Genesis, it says that after God made, Abraham, made Adam, he went in and took out a rib and created woman. God is doing surgery. So uh, being a doctor, that must be the oldest profession in the history of the world. And the engineer said, no, nah, you, you can even back it up a little bit further. Because it says, in the beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, there was chaos everywhere. And I'm an, I'm an engineer. And my role, my profession as an engineer is to take chaos and bring about structure and order. And then the politician got a big smile on his face. And he said, where do you think the chaos came from? <laughs> Chaos is the world in which we live today. And chaos is really the world in which the Israelites were living in. They were so hopeful. They were so excited about this new season of moving into the promised land. But really, it became a season of chaos. The season of judges. No sooner had they arrived in the promised land than they're, as they're trying to figure out their neighbors all around them and the neighboring countries, the neighboring uh, kingdoms, they were hostile and they wanted to annihilate the Israelites. They were none too happy that the Israelites had moved into town. And then there were other neighbors among the Israelites living in the land. And it's not so much that they were hostile to the Israelites, it's just that they worshipped other gods. They did not worship the one true God. They worshipped gods uh, who sacrificed children. They worshipped gods where there was temple prostitution. These were gods and religions. Make no mistake about it, there was a lot of evil still going on in the land. And so the Israelites are trying to figure out, how do we navigate all these new relationships with our neighbors, both with our neighbors among us and our neighbors all around us? And again, remember, God gave the Israelites the covenant, the law, as a way for them to be a witness to all the neighbors around them, that they had a special relationship with God. And when they obeyed God's law, then they were going to be successful in their witness to, uh, to God. 
and, and, and his plans uh, for their lives. But the Israelites did not follow God's commandments. They did not follow God's law. They didn't follow God's covenant. And what we learn and we read about in this next season, and I'm going to go through this season pretty fast, because it's a pretty dark season in the life of the Israelites. What's going on in the season of Judges is things just continue to spiral downhill because the Israelites were disobedient to God. And these judges that got in place to help them sort things out, most of them were lousy judges. And they too did not obey God. They were very disobedient. So it's this season of chaos, this season of darkness, this season of downward spiral. And the book of Judges ends with this line from uh, Judges 21-25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You hear the chaos. Everybody just do whatever you want to do. That's how things rolled in those days, in the days of Judges. It was anarchy. And the Israelites were even on the verge of civil war with one another. They were at each other's throats. It was a horrible season in the life of God's people, the Israelites. And so the Israelites came to one of the judges a guy by the name of Samuel. And they said, Samuel, we want a king. Things are not going well. And we've looked at all the nations around us and all the other nations. They have kings. And Samuel says, you've got a king. He's God. And they said, no, we want a, a real king, a human king, because things are not going well. So Samuel goes to God and he says, God, your people, they want a king. Apparently, you're not enough of a king for them. They want flesh and blood. They want a king. And so God looks at them and says, give them a king. And so thus began the next season in the life of the Israelites, the age of the kings and the kingdoms. And really, there were four major kings uh, that we're going to look at. Saul, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. We're going to start with Saul. And so the prophet Samuel, he finds Saul and he anoints him king. Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul, was, he started out really, really well. Saul is one of those guys, he would say he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was a military warrior. He had lots and lots going for him. In fact, the very first battle that Saul fought with the Israelites against the people in the land and the nations around them was against the Ammonites. And he just whooped them. I mean, he was really, really good because he was following the words and the ways of God. But then things started to get out of control because Saul, he just felt pretty good about himself. And he had to thinking, you know, I don't know that I always need God. I mean, I'll listen to God when it's convenient. But you know what? If, if, if it's not convenient, I know how to do this king thing pretty well. So then there was another battle against the Philistines. And, and uh, Samuel uh, told Saul, here's what I want you to do. Before you go into battle against the Philistines, wait for me to show up. And we are going to pray to God together. And then we're going to go to battle. 
Well, I don't, you know, without going into a lot of details this morning, essentially what happened is Samuel got stuck in traffic. He's running late. And the, and the soldiers on both sides, the Israelites and the Philistines, they're getting ready to go to battle against one another. And Saul is starting to freak out. He's losing his mind. Where is Samuel? He's not here. And so Saul takes the conditions into his own hands. He says, okay, we're going to just go to battle, guys. We're going against the Philistines. And you can imagine in that moment what happened. The Israelites got whooped. They lost the battle, and things went really, really bad for God's people, the Israelites. And so after the Israelites got whooped, Samuel comes up to Saul and says, what's going on? Why did you go into battle? I told you to wait. And Saul says, you were late. I had to do something. And Saul doesn't own and take responsibility for his disobedience. Saul got ahead of God in the battle plan. And I think for us today, how often do we get ahead of God in our own lives? We look at God and say, God, you're late. Where are you? Come on. Are you stuck in traffic, God? Let's go. And we move forward, not really listening and being in the presence of God, but just moving ahead. Another battle. This time it was against the Amalekites. And so at this point in time, He's just kind of doing things on his own. And he goes to battle. The Israelites again lose. Samuel comes back to Saul and says, Saul, what is going on? And Saul again does not own his disobedience in the ways in which he had walked away from God. So then we read in 1 Samuel 16, 14, that the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. God said, you know what? I've had it with you, Saul. I'm no longer going to be upon you and offer you a blessing. And so Saul continues to be the king of Israel. He's still in the position of being the king, he no longer has the presence of God leading him and guiding him in his kingship. And as I think about you and me and us gathered together today, I think there's one of two errors that we can uh, fall into in our own lives. One is much like Saul, getting ahead of God or thinking that God isn't moving fast enough so we just get out ahead of God. But the other error I see in your life and in my life is God is calling us to go and do something, and we're just like, you know what? I'm not ready yet, God. I'm just going to hold back and wait. And so God calls us to go, and we don't go. We stop and wait. So it's really easy for you and for me, for all of us, to either get out way ahead of God or to sit wait and follow behind God, and God is telling us, no, what I want you to do is to dwell in my presence, to walk with me day in and day out, listen to what I have to say to you. 
As I think about us, so many of us I know are reading through the Bible cover to cover this year. And many of you have shared with me how much you're enjoying reading through the Bible. Uh, but you've had some questions. And I've really enjoyed uh, fielding some of your questions as you're going through uh, the Bible readings. And some of you said, whoa, this book is not rated G, right? I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the Bible. And anybody who says the Bible is boring has never read the Bible, amen? amen. Yeah, there's like, whoa, these people are messed up. There is some crazy stuff going on in our Bible readings. And some of you have said, hey, is there an exam at the end? Because how am I supposed to remember all these people? Let me assure you, on December 31st, there will be no exam. You don't have to remember all the peoples and places and events, okay? It's okay. The purpose of reading the Bible day in and day out is not to memorize it all or, frankly, to even learn it all. I've been studying the Bible uh, for about 35 years. I still don't know it all. And neither will you. No matter how much you study it, there's always more to learn in God's Word. So let me be crystal clear today. The purpose of reading daily lessons, daily texts in your Bible is to listen to the voice of God for today. To sit in the presence of God today. And if you forget whatever Bible reading you're reading today, tomorrow, but when you get to tomorrow, you're like, what was it again I read yesterday? Don't worry about it. It's yesterday. Just read God's word today and ask yourself, what is God trying to say to me today? How can I sit? How can I dwell in the presence of God today? And if you read your Bible every single day, you won't be like Saul. You won't get out ahead of Saul and you won't lag behind Saul. But you'll just be listening and sitting in the presence of God. So Saul, because of his disobedience, because he didn't sit in the presence of God, he eventually lost the throne. And so the prophet Samuel, he's got to find a new king. And he allows uh, Saul to continue to be on the throne. So Saul goes to a guy by the name of Jesse. He says, you know what, Jesse, God has told me that one of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Jesse is so excited, and he marches out his seven boys so that Saul can kind of, so that Samuel, the prophet Samuel, can kind of figure out which one was going to be the next king. And Samuel's out there, you know, really trying to figure out which one of the boys of Jesse is going to be. And, and he's like, Jesse, I'm not feeling it. Do you have any other kids? And Jesse's like, yeah, I got one more little guy. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. And Jesse, uh, so, and Samuel says, hey, Jesse, you got to go get him. And so he brings in this little shepherd boy. His name is David. And Samuel says, you are going to be the next king. And he anoints David to be king. And after he anoints him, David's like, all right, I'm going back out to the sheep. And he goes back out to the pasture. He's taken care of sheep for many, many years. And one day, as the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines, 
All the brothers of Jesse, they're all out fighting in the battle against the Philistines. And Jesse says, David, come here. I got Jimmy John's. Take some sandwiches out to your brothers. And there's David, you know, going out to see his brothers. Brought the sandwiches. And he gets out there. And he is so upset. Because there is this giant taunting the Israelites. There is this giant taunting the army. There is this giant Philistine standing out there taunting God. And David is outraged. He can't believe it. He is so mad. And so he goes back. He says, let me. He goes to Saul, the king, and he says, I can take care of that guy. When I was a shepherd, as a shepherd, I could take on lions and bears. I can take on that giant. Let me take him on. And so Saul allows David to go to battle against Tom Brady. <laughs> or Goliath, right? I get those two kind of mixed up, right? But nobody could beat Goliath. But of course, that's what David does is he whoops Goliath. The Israelites are victorious. And David goes back to being a shepherd boy again. That's what he does. He takes care of sheep. And this continues to go on and on. And David becomes more and more popular because he's not just a good shepherd, a, a, a shepherd person. He, he also is really good at uh, fighting giants like Goliath. So he gets more and more popular. And he gets asked to do more and more things in Saul's court. And Saul says, I want you to lead this battle and this army. And this continues to go on. And pretty soon, David is more popular and more famous than Saul himself. So Saul gets very, very jealous. He doesn't like this that everybody's talking about David, right? They want, Saul wants everybody to talk about him, the king. And he's like, man, that David, he is really something. So Saul becomes jealous and angry and irritated. And Saul finally decides, I gotta get rid of this David. He is just a nuisance. And so Saul starts hunting David down like an animal. And on more than one occasion, he tries to kill David. So of course, David has no choice. He's gotta flee, he's gotta run away. He's gotta get to somewhere safe. And everywhere that David goes, there's Saul and the Israelite army chasing him down, hunting him down, trying to kill him. And on a couple occasions, at least twice, David is in a position and a place where he could have actually taken out Saul. He had the skills, he had the motivation, he had the means, and he just said to himself, I'm not going to do it. I could kill Saul, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get out of God. God hasn't called me to ascend to the throne yet. David had been anointed. He's popular with the people. He could have gotten away with it. But he said, not yet. I'm going to wait until God calls me to ascend to the throne. And that's exactly what happened. David ascended to the throne. The name David means beloved. That's a very fitting name 
because nobody in the 3,000 year history of Israel has been more beloved than David. Nobody has been more popular. Nobody has been more famous than David. I mean, everybody knows about King David, right? And we should know about King David. He was a pretty impressive guy. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was a songwriter. He wrote about 70 songs in the Old Testament. He was really smart. He was a, he was a great warrior. He, he could go to battle. And he knew how to organize things and people and places. And so David, in the course of his life, he expanded Israel's territory by about tenfold. He was really good at diplomacy. He could fight battles. And everybody, when they thought about David, as man, this is where it's at. This is as good as it gets. This is the golden age of Israel. And David is on the throne. And David knew he was blessed. And he knew the nation of Israel was blessed. So I want to invite you to get out chronicles that I asked you to pull out a while ago. One day, David is just reflecting on how blessed he is and how blessed the nation of Israel is under David's leadership. 1 Chronicles 17, beginning with verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God... You have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord. For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people, Israel, your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord... Let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promise, so that it will be established that your name will be great forever. Then the people will say, The Lord Almighty, the God over Israel, is Israel's God. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, my God, have revealed your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray for you. You, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it and it will be blessed forever. Over and over, David is just like, man, I'm so blessed. We are so blessed. Things are amazing. And we've been toting around this, this Ark of the Covenant for years. I think it's time for us to put 
down some roots here in the promised land and build us a temple. So David lays out the plan to move from the tabernacle to the temple, a permanent home for God's people, a place where they would meet God face to face. And so God, uh, so uh, David lays out the plans for the temple. He explains it in great detail to all the people. And then he hands out job assignments to the priests. He says, you guys are the ones who are going to take care of the temple. You're going to light the candles. You're going to make sure the rug is down and that there's a podium. You're going to make sure everything on Facebook Live is good to go. And this is your, this is your role. He says, we are going to offer sacrifices so you know there's a cost and a price to be paid for your sin. And it goes on and on. And things just could not be any better for David in the Israelite kingdom. David was a man of great passion. But one day, David's passion got him in a little bit of trouble. David was up on top of uh, the rooftop, kind of doing what he's doing one night, getting ready, just kind of looking around. He sees on the rooftop a couple of houses over, there was a woman out bathing. Now David, keep in mind, he's a warrior. He's supposed to be off fighting wars and battles, and that's where most of his men are. But he's not. He's just kind of lounging at home. And in that moment, David is tempted. And he calls for that young woman who was out there bathing that evening to come over to the palace. David sleeps with her and then sends her back home. And then pretty soon David finds out she is pregnant. Problem. So David grabs her wife, her husband, and says, bring Uriah back home. He invites Uriah to sleep with his wife Bathsheba. Uriah says, you know what? I am a warrior and I got a battle to fight. I'm not going to do it. So David's stuck. He's got a real problem here. So he sends Uriah back out to the battle lines, and he makes sure that Uriah is killed. And sure enough, Uriah is killed. And David thinks to himself, well, that solves that problem. And then he invites Bathsheba to come to the palace to become his wife. Everything seems like it's going well. Except then the prophet Nathan shows up. And he calls David out on his sin. He says, David, you think you did a cover-up, but God knows that you've sinned. Remember how Saul, when he sinned, when he was disobedient to God, he didn't own it? He didn't repent? Not David. It says, in that moment, David broke down and wept, and he repented. Maybe you've heard this psalm in Psalm 51 that David writes after he sinned with Bathsheba and was called out by the prophet Nathan. He writes this prayer to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. David repents. He says, God, I'm sorry. I did something wrong. Please forgive me. And God forgives him. God forgives David. You know, oftentimes we think that in the New Testament that God is the God of love and forgiveness. But I want you to hear in the story of David, without question, in the Old Testament, God is a God of love and forgiveness. And God looks at David and says, I forgive you. David is excited. He's happy. The relationship has been restored. But have you ever noticed in your own life or in the life of the world that when there is sin, there are still consequences? You can still be forgiven, but there's still going to be consequences. We just want to be forgiven, right? No consequences. And there are consequences for David and Bathsheba. And one of the consequences was that the child died. David was so sad. Of course, Bathsheba was sad as well. And the consequences of David's passionate sin continued to go on for generations after. There were many consequences of David's sin. David was a passionate guy, and he was an incredibly talented guy, and he did extraordinary things. But make no mistake about it, David had a lot of problems. There was a lot of mess because David had more children, and his kids became disobedient. And one of his kids, Absalom, tried to get rid of David. He said, David, Dad, you're not worthy to be on the throne. And remember how Saul tried to hunt down David once upon a time? Now his son, Absalom, is trying to kill his father. This is the consequence of David's sin and his passion. And then there's this great battle going on. And pretty soon Absalom is killed. And David lost another son. He's grief-stricken. He's heartbroken. I mean, this is David's life, the highest of highs, the most incredible successes, and just did wonderful, amazing things in the life of Israel. But David messed up. And there was a lot of sin and a lot of problems in his life, and he experienced incredible tragedy. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And after the rain... King David was the reign of Solomon. And Solomon in the original Greek means trust child. Not really, I'm just kidding. I don't know what Solomon means. But that's who Solomon was. He was amazingly wealthy. He inherited all of David's fortune. Solomon had everything going for him. He came on the, the coattails of daddy, King David, and he was unbelievably wealthy. Solomon was unbelievably smart. Scripture says that he was the smartest guy who ever lived because he asked God for wisdom. And Solomon also wrote books in the Bible like Proverbs. 
Ecclesiastes. He was pretty successful in his own right. But so much was given to Solomon. He built the temple. He's actually the one who, David made the plans for the temple. Solomon is the guy who actually built it and made sure that it happened. And Solomon had so much going for him. He also was a great warrior. And he was really good at diplomacy. And one of the, the keys to Solomon's diplomacy was to uh, find the women of these other nations and bring them into his court. And the problem with this was that by the time Solomon had kind of gathered all these women and married them, there were now 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, you can just see where this is going, right? This is just not a good plan for success. One guy, Solomon, the king, having 700 wives, 300 concubines. And, of course, what happened was all these women who came into his court, they were from pagan nations around them. And so Solomon started watching them and observing them. Solomon is supposed to be following God's law, God's covenant, and he's watching all the nations around him, these women worshiping other gods, serving other gods, and Solomon got very curious. And pretty soon Solomon was also serving and worshiping these other gods, and he had turned his back on the one true God. And things just went south from there. The next king after Solomon was Rehoboam. And I'm not even going to go into any details on Rehoboam's life. He didn't do well. Let's just say he lost his way as well. He thought he was, you know, the king and, and he was all that. But under the watch of Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it just continued to go bad. It just went badly over and over and over. And there were kings on the, in the northern kingdom, and there were kings in the southern kingdom. And it was just bad. There were just bad kings over and over. They disobeyed God. They didn't follow God's laws, and things just fell apart. Pretty soon, the northern kingdom falls to the Assyrians, wiped out Israel wiped out, and then not long after, then the southern kingdom is overwhelmed by the Babylonians, and they're carted off to Babylon as slaves. This is just what's going on over and over and over, and things do not go well for the kings. The reign of the kings, you know, it was, uh, of Israel, it was, in, in the grand scheme of things, it was this kind of this very short time period and it started so well, and it looked so great and so hopeful, but it just evolved, and it got very, very messy. And as we think about the life of King David, there was a promise, a promise that came to King David, that in the midst of all his problems, all his struggles, all his sin, this promise was made in 1 Kings 9.5, your descendant will sit on the throne of Israel Forever. It's a promise that forever your descendant will sit on the throne. And so things just get chaotic and more chaotic in the life of Israel. Fast forward a thousand years. There's a ninth grade girl in a little village, Nazareth. She's 
sitting there waiting and wondering, like the rest of her family, when are we going to be rescued again? And an angel shows up and speaks these words to Mary in Luke 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will have no end. See, even though the kingdoms of Israel, the kingdoms of Judah, forgot God, God did not forget his children. And this is the great story that God reveals himself to, to us today. That even in the midst of all of our kingdoms, with a little K, things come and go. Chaos comes and goes. But that God is still on the throne. He promises through Jesus Christ that no matter what, he's in control. And as we sang about this morning, even when I look around and I see chaos, God's still in control. Even when I feel chaos, God is still in control. And it's the great story and the great reveal of our, of our story today is that God is a God of kingdom in the midst of all the mess and, and all the hardship in our world today. And we've just come through a really messy election season. And we continue to look around and go, what in the world? Who is in control? Why are there all these problems? And we see problems in our lives and the mess and the sin and the brokenness and the chaos. And God comes to us in Jesus. I'm still in control. I'm still on the throne. And today God invites you and me to renew that covenant relationship. Like David, cry out. Say, God, I messed up. I've sinned. I've broken the relationship with you. Have mercy on me. Sinner, the guy comes to you and says, I forgive you. You are my beloved. I love you. My child. As you continue to mess up, as you continue to sin, as you continue to live a messy life in a messy world and all the chaos, just know that I am with you. That I have got everything under control. I am on the throne. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is indeed on the throne, ruling and reigning. And God, in the midst of so much suffering, so much pain, so much hurt, so much heartache throughout Scripture, you continue to remind us that you are good that you are faithful, that you are forgiving. We're then, you are now. So God, on this day again, we receive your forgiveness. We thank you. We thank you, God, for your kingdom reign. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.